Welcome to the Metric Stack Podcast. Our guest today is Ray Reich, founder and CEO of RevOps Squared, where he and his team help B2B SaaS companies use benchmarks to define success and increase company value. Ray's held key roles in the C-suites of companies ranging from a million to a hundred billion plus in revenue. And we not only share a love of metrics with Ray, but also one of podcasts. So encourage you to check out Ray's Metrics That Measure Up podcast if you haven't already. Special guest drops today. And I'm joined by Clipfolio co-founder and CEO, Alan Villa, and I'm Lauren Thibodeau. Huge welcome to the show, Ray. We're so glad you're here. Lauren, thank you so much for inviting me, and I look forward to the discussion with you and Alan today. Yeah, thanks, Ray. This is this is fantastic. Really happy to have you here. So today we're talking about annual projected revenue. Now, this is typically not one of your top 10 metrics that everybody talks about, but it's a really interesting one. So maybe you can set the stage. Give us a little bit of insight about, you know, how did you come to this as the discussion topic today? Yeah, well, it harkens back to something I learned early in my career at GE, and we were the world's largest provider of time-sharing services. And most people listening to the podcast today is like, what in the hell is time sharing? And this was the first generation of software as a subscription. It was multi-tenant architected applications hosted on a mainframe, accessible via a global private network versus the public internet. And we priced it on a subscription basis plus usage-based variables. So we had customers such as Apple, Sun Microsystems, Ford Motor Car Corporation paying us millions and millions of dollars a year of a subscription that included up to X number of transactions or units, and then they paid for overage. So as we did that, and my first job at GE was actually in sales, and we were responsible for every account that we closed, but then every account that we managed, because we had a, not a hunter farmer model, we had a rancher model, which is we ate what we killed, and then we made sure we could continue to grow on the farm. So we had to forecast not only what the annual subscription revenue would be, but on an annual basis, what the usage revenue would be. So we had to do strategic account plans with our customers, understanding what was their growth rates, what was their projected growth utilization of our product. We even had to look at things like macroeconomic conditions and factor those in. So that's why I came up with this concept of annual projected revenue. Got it. And can you define for us the formula that you would use or you would recommend folks use who want to calculate this metric? So it's contracted ARR, sometimes known as committed ARR. The abbreviation you see is CARR. It's something Bessemer often uses, right? So you look at that committed ARR, and then on top of that, you add the overage revenue you're going to see from overage above the minimum subscription. So an example, someone signs a million-dollar draft and includes a million transactions, you also have to understand, oh, I think you're going to do 1.5 million transactions, so the annual projected revenue will be that million dollars plus whatever the total value is of those 500,000 overage units. So 
there's a there's a few metrics that sort of fall into this category, you know, and I think of I think of bookings as one of those metrics. And obviously what you just described there, they haven't paid for it yet, but this is something that we're predicting they may eat into or they may use up over the next 12 months. How do you compare that to other metrics that maybe non-SaaS companies are using, such as bookings or such as other sort of committed but not paid revenue metrics? Well, at the highest level, Alan, you could compare this in the non-SaaS world to forecasted revenue. Sure. So if you're in the cable business, you may have the minimum subscription your current customers are signing up to because they have the basic cable channels. But you know, oh, on average, Point two will add the sports package, or point three will add the premium movie package. And that's how you get forecasted revenue, right? It's the minimum contractual plus above that. That's typically done finance. Often it will be done maybe by revenue leadership, but very seldom in other industries does it go all the way to a bottoms up forecast where the account manager or customer success manager needs to understand the usage profile and the business profile of their customers to forecast exactly how much revenue they will be delivering in a year. The subscription plus the usage. Think about Twilio as an example. You know, Twilio has number of messages or transactions they sent, right? So you know, they go out and they get a million dollar contract and they say, okay, you're going to get 500,000 transactions for this. Who knows at the, at the account by account level, how many transactions are going to do above their projected subscription level? Not many people. They do it on the aggregate basis. They do it at the aggregate basis, not at the account level. So, I mean, that, that brings us very, very close to sort of net dollar retention as well, right? So everybody's got, every SaaS company is very familiar with net revenue retention or net dollar retention, however you define it. How does, how does that formula, which is a known metric in most SaaS circles, how does that fit into what you're talking about? Because it's almost like NRR is the aggregate formula that you apply to your customer base, whereas what you're talking about is almost account by account specific. It is account by account. So net revenue retention and net dollar retention reported as a percentage. It looks at a cohort of customers or a segment of customers that were on contract a year ago and how much revenue will they be generating at the end of that year, right? And 110, 120%. That's almost always on an aggregate basis. If you went to a customer success manager and said, okay, you have 30 accounts, what's your forecast for how much actual revenue each of those are going to be doing over the next 12 months? If one out of 10 could do that, I'd be very shocked. And you can provide me feedback. I know, you know, one of your partners, Lauren, this is one of her areas of expertise, but I don't think I could go to 10 CSMs and get the forecast on an account-by-account -account basis. Yeah. And why is that important? Because if you want to get the maximum growth out of every account in a usage-based pricing model, the account manager or CS manager needs to know, oh, how am I going to get an additional 20% transaction volume out of them if you pay some transactions? Maybe I need to get other business processes to have transactions that we're not automating today. So you can take quota right down to the same level and say, your customer did a million dollars last year. Your quota is going to be 1.2 million or a 20% growth. Now, how are you going to get that? Think about the macroeconomic melees we're in right now. So, and you see certain industries having a challenge, a SaaS industry, right? We're not seeing the same discretionary investment going into SaaS solutions as we did six months ago. 
So you also need to be able to forecast and an account by account level, how's the economic conditions going to impact what the usage is going to be of our customers over the next 12 months. Think about Uber, right? Who had Uber as an account at Twilio and how did they forecast the Uber revenue during 2021 when no one knew exactly what was going to happen to ride sharing in the throes of COVID? I was going to say, is, is this a metric that you should be readjusting on a quarterly basis? And maybe maybe a two-part question, are, is, this, is this a metric that is generally applicable to customers that or companies that have bigger accounts? Well, I think at an account by account level, it probably is going to be companies billing over 10K a month or so, so mid-market and above. Yeah. So... Which again, I, I can harken back on my experience, which is why I came up with this metric. And we had something called NPR, monthly projected revenue. Mm-hmm. And every month, right, we had to provide a forecast to our finance leader of how much we thought each customer we had on subscription-based pricing plus usage base was going to bill. And I actually got rated as a sales professional on my forecast accuracy mm-hmm. on overs usage. Yeah, isn't that interesting? So what's old is new again, right? It's come full circle with the usage-based pricing models. And I mean, I was talking to a SaaS startup founder this morning who's using usage-based pricing and trying to figure out how to do exactly this. So so Lauren and Alan, let's talk about forecasting overall, right? If you ask companies what accuracy they have on new business forecasts, new business forecasts, which we have our sales process, we have our conversion rates, we know stage by stage, we're using artificial intelligence to factor in event and activity-based signals to provide forecasts. But we just did some recent benchmarking on accuracy of new customer acquisition forecasts in the SaaS industry, and the median was plus or minus 6 to 10% against the forecast. So if you forecasted a million, maybe you did 950,000, uh, sorry, 920,000, or maybe you did a million, 80,000. Now, investors, especially during periods of cautious capital, which is what we're in right now, your ability to forecast accurately has as much to do with your credibility and be able to get follow-on investments as your growth rate or your growth efficiency, right? Because as a former chief revenue officer, my proudest moments in my life was when three CFOs in a row said, you are the best head of revenue sales I've ever seen with forecasting. And they said, you, you never are 10% high. You don't have happy years. You don't blow ball and come in at the beginning of the quarter 15% under your number. You're always within an error plus or minus 2 to 3%. It's because of the training I had in my time sharing business. And that is going to be so critical to usage-based pricing business-wise. So you started saying by the accuracy of the new business sales fund is good, right? Now, I think we're, where you were going with that was that the accuracy of the follow-on or the expansion business is poor, or it's not done, or it's not practiced. Now, you tell me, but I think that's what you were going to say. It is. In fact, you know. Some other research we've recently done is on product-led growth, where product analytics are really important. And I'm going to tie this back to forecasting expansion and this annual projected revenue. How many CSMs out there, account managers, can say, oh, my customers last quarter had a mal over Dow of 30, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So 30% of my users who come in monthly come in daily, right? Now take that down into 
how many of your customers are going to get to the point where they hit this button and do a transaction? Let's say it's a download a PDF or send out a electronic document for signature, right? Not too many. So why, why is that? Is it, is it a cultural thing? Is it, are they, are they not tied close enough to sort of the revenue organization? You know, is it training? What is it? We have an industry that's only 20 years old, 22, right? And software as a service SaaS. And what's our primary billing model been? Annual subscription, often based upon number of users. And you paid $1,500 to user whether they used it or not. Let's be serious. That's where 80, 90% of SaaS companies have billed for the last 22 years. And even though we've always had some consumption-based or usage-based pricing, it's really taken off in the last three to five years, right? We can name the companies. When we talk about companies, we talk about Twilio, Datadog, Snowflake. These guys weren't around 10, 15 years ago doing subscription-based pricing, right? So it's new. You So you didn't have an entire muscle memory and culture created around not only analyzing how the company is using their product and the value they're getting out of it, but how's that going to grow over the next year? We got pretty good at saying, well, their sales organization grows by 20%, so our subscription will grow by 20%, right? But now we're into really understanding their business. Okay, so Ray, I think the the, the penny just dropped for me. So the more uncertain... Uh, the model is, and, and certainly you can say that usage-based pricing is the ultimate in fair pricing because the customer can control whether they expand, whether they contract, whatever they do, right? So the more uncertainty there is, the more we need this this future-looking revenue metric to really understand what are we actually going to do? Like all this new business that we got, is that going to disappear? Is it going to grow? And you're right, with a usage-based model, yeah, you can predict that relatively easily. Like short of some disaster and they sort of get rid of half of their users, you're going to have that same revenue and they may grow a little bit and, and that's how you can do it. But with usage-based, it is a totally different can of worms. And I'll give an example. I had a business that we serviced the automotive industry on the manufacturing side. So our usage was 100% correlated to how many automobiles a OEM was going to manufacture that year. And how many suppliers were in their first level of supply chain? I had to know that. And if it was macroeconomic conditions with rising interest rates right now, Ford's not going to sell 5.8 million cars this year. They may only sell 4.9 or 5.1, right? They may consolidate some of the suppliers so they have less relationships. If all that goes into your forecast, you better be a pretty good business analyst, not just a salesperson or CSM. Now, I may, I may be totally wrong that it's, you know, maybe this is primarily enterprise, but having lived that world for eight years, I saw people, my peers, get fired for missing forecasts on annual projected revenue, especially for bigger companies. Yep. Fair enough. So you've talked about how we track it, why it's important to track it. Can you take us through sort of the mechanics, like who should do it in your mind? You talked about CSM versus account manager. Like who should actually own this if it's usage-based pricing company, for example? It's a bottoms up and top-down model. So let's go with the bottoms up first. Whoever owns the quota for that excuse me, individual company, whether that's a revenue quota, a net dollar retention quota, because that's you know CSM, they should own a bottoms up annual projected revenue forecast that's updated monthly. So it's going to be a CSM, an account manager or if you have a salesperson who's a rancher. Now, 
At the same time, you're going to have someone from the finance team, and it's typically going to be an FP&A, a financial planning and, and analysis individual, who's often responsible for the initial forecast within the finance group, working with the CSM or account manager or salesperson saying, yeah, but let's think about some of this. Do we think that they're going to be growing over the next six months? Do you know what their projected ridership growth rate is if it's Uber or the projected manufacturing rate is going to be if it's GM or Ford? Those are the type of questions an FP&A might be asking because they're responsible for rolling a forecast up to the CFO. So now you might even have operations now, whether it's business operations, financial operations, or revenue operations, it depends on the organization structure. But they should be very close to product usage and transactional data, right? They should know what's happening in a particular cohort of customers. So they may be also involved. Like what in my days when I did this, I worked very closely with my regional FP&A and my customer. We called them an account manager, but they really were more of a customer success manager back then. That's who I worked with to do the forecast. And most importantly, every quarter, I would have that quarterly business review with my accounts. And it was just, you know, how's product going? What feature functions do you need enhanced, right? Oh, here's a report. It was, let's talk about how you're going to be using the product next quarter. What's your business look like? Are you projecting growth? How's that going to impact the utilization of our product? Those were the type of strategic QBRs we used to hold. And the goal for us wasn't just to do it, check, did my QBR, or provide feedback to product, right, about what's not happening and churn risk. It was, can we identify where there's business growth opportunity from a cross-sell, upsell motion? And most importantly, to provide that forecast to our finance group. So you, you're, you are really trying to figure out the health of their business and the growth trajectory of their business. And I, I can see if you're targeting large companies, you're doing that on a, an account-by-account account basis. I can also see it if you're targeting mid-market, you're doing that more on a market basis. So what is this segment going to do? What are, as you were saying, what are the economic or market factors that are going to influence this over the next three, six, nine months, right? So I think, yeah, if you're going to do this well, you've, you've got to be that economist, that analyst that really looks at, you know, the external growth factors. Yeah. And, and people will say, Ray, come on, do you expect a CSM or an, a salesperson to be a business analyst? And my perspective, if you're in a usage-based business model, you better understand exactly what's driving your customer's utilization and the trend of that up or down. And that means you need to understand their business and how their business measurements is going to translate into usage of your product. You have to be. Ray, Ray do you find that there's certain metrics that along with you know annual projected revenue, you're looking at as well to, to right size, to add context? Like what are the other related metrics that you would say along with this, also make sure that you're looking at these things? Well, are we specifically limiting this to usage-based pricing models, Alan? No, no. I mean, I think, I think anything, right? Because if you're trying to get a good read on something, it could even be an external metric that you're looking at. What's the 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 countries or the markets growth rate that you're looking at. So it, it's hard to answer. You know, one of the things I found in benchmarking is you can't just say the benchmark is 2.5, whatever 2.5 is, because it depends on the context of the market, right? Things like company size or average annual contract value, distribution model, who you're selling to, enterprise versus SMB. Same with metrics, right? SAS metrics. 
So, but let me, first of all, narrow it down to usage-based pricing model. Let's say my responsibility is financial services, and they're using my product to manage new applicant relationships, whether that's banking accounts, credit card accounts, or mortgages, because there's multiple different types of business transactions of financial service organizations using my product for it. I need to understand, well, mortgages. Mortgages were down 40% from initiation last month. Well, if mortgages are down 40% and that was 60% of the usage of my product last year, I better forecast that, right? Bank America, you're my customer. What are you seeing with your mortgage trends? What are you forecasting for mortgage initiations, right? So do business discussions and then say they go on credit cards or credit card applications down. So you got to know by industry, what are those economic input signals that drive your usage-based profile? So I think it's industry by industry, Alan. I don't know if that answered your question or not. Yeah, it, it, it does. I mean, I think it really is. You are looking at more of the macro factors that are influencing the next 12 months. I think that's, that's very different from looking at some of the other metrics that we often discuss on the show. You're looking at these external factors that will, you know, have big swings, you know, plus or minus. Now, I think there probably also are some leading indicators that you can look at, like just like you were saying, you know, are mortgage applications down? Maybe there is a leading indication in your business that will give you a clue as to the appetite of, you know, expansion revenue happening. But I think in general, it's these are big external economic factors that are are coming into play. You know, we talked about the North Star metric. A lot of organizations, based upon what ICP they're serving, they have a different North Star metric, right? So I almost call these the black hole on metrics, right? It's like, I want to know what external risk, right? And the company and the economy could drive their usage down or up. And now the other thing I would say is we have our standard metrics, right? Whether it's net dollar retention or cap payback period, you know, a lot of people know how to conduct those. Here's the gap. And here's the analogy to annual projected revenue. The best companies measure their performance metrics by customer cohort or segment. It's not my net dollar retention is 114%. It's my net dollar retention for the European automotive industry is 108. My net dollar retention for the SMB market for retailers in the US is 101. So in so many companies, as they grow from being a 10 million to 50 million to 100 million, their ability to do those segmented cohort-based analysis doesn't scale with them because they've never had to do it. It, it really should be quite the opposite. I mean, you've got, you've actually got cohorts that you now can segment. It is, but once again, one of the biggest challenges, I'm working with a $170 million subscription business right now. They're thinking about going public. At least they were thinking about going public, right? <laughs> so, and they asked me to come in and look at their metrics that they're calculating. You know, are they the right metrics? Do they have the... Bi- best causal relationship to enterprise value to revenue models. But they're also asking, you know, what metrics are we missing? And the biggest thing I found in a company that size, I said, well, tell me a little bit about for this product, what's your customer acquisition cost? And I'm like, oh, you you have SMBs, you have mid-market and you have enterprise. What's your cap payback period and your customer lifetime value for enterprise versus SMBs? And they're like, oh, we can't slice and dice the data that way. It's too hard. So like, so a big part of it was what's the infrastructure that's being put in place to be able to do this cohort-based analysis. And it's going to be the same for annual projected revenue. If you don't have the infrastructure 
in the process to understand how macroeconomic conditions are impacting usage, you're going to be terrible forecasting, much worse than you even are at new business forecasting, which, as I said, plus or minus error, six to 10% at median. So Ray, put your CEO hat on or your CFO hat on for a second and tell us what does good, better, and best look like for forecast accuracy for this metric? What would you expect? If someone was coming to you with annual projected revenue forecast, how close do you want them to be? Good, better, best to what really hits? Lauren, that's a, that's a, that's a good question. So plus minus one to 5% would be best. If you can be within one to 5%, you're doing damn good, right? Six to 10% would be, that's okay. Anything with an error, plus or minus error margin greater than 10% or you'll get fired. Think about right now, think about public markets, right? It's called guidance, right? It's guidance on revenue, right? And these are multi-billion dollar companies. So they have the benefit of a lot of history, a lot of critical mass of data, et cetera, right? And what does the public marketplace do to someone who misses their forecast by 5% on the downside? In good times, you may take a 5 to 10% hit. Right now, you're taking a 20, 30% hit. Look at what Netflix did with subscriber base last quarter, right? They'd lost subscriber base, but I think it was 600,000. They didn't forecast that, which meant they didn't have visibility into that. And the market punished them. Do you think someone might have lost their job when the stock goes down 24% in one day? Somebody was responsible for that forecast, cascading all the way down, going to my bottoms-up analysis. There was some poor schmuck who had product analytics responsibility to look for usage trends and saying, oh shit, I missed that cohort of users who haven't used a product in the last 22 days. I bet they're going to churn. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Parting words of advice before we close up, Ray. I mean, this has been fabulous. A lot of fun. Hard hitting comments there. Don't We don't want anyone to lose their job. Your last words of advice. <laughs> you know, Wayne Gretzky is one of my favorite athletes of all time. And he always said, the reason I'm so good is because I was going to where the puck's going, not to where it was, right? So there's so much buzz around usage-based pricing as a, a pricing model. If you're considering that, go beyond what Excel says and what the upside can be. Well, if we did this, we'd get 20% more revenue. It's what's the infrastructure, the process, and the risk that I need to be prepared for? to manage how I'm going to forecast and tell my investors what's happening. Because right now, Snowflake, right? They're really good when they have 170% net dollar retention. But now investors are like, well, what segments of your customer base are going to decrease in the usage potentially, like streaming companies, et cetera? And how's that going to impact your earnings per share? So plan for the future. Ray, this is amazing. Ray Reich, everybody of RevOps Squared, talking about annual projected revenue, all sorts of macroeconomic advice, all sorts of segmentation advice, and last but not least, but some advice on hard-hitting accuracy of your forecasts. Make sure you're going where, where the puck is, is headed. Wayne Gretzky reference in there as well. So Ray, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us today. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Lauren. It was a blast. If you enjoyed today's conversation about metrics and data, be sure to check out Metric HQ, our online resource for the metrics that matter most to you and your business.